I am Shobaraka, and this is George Fox Talks. And today we're going to be talking about good art versus bad art. Hello, George Fox family and friends. I am Shobaraka, artist, author, and actor. And today I am here with Dr. Joel Mayward, who is assistant professor of Christian ministry, theology, and the arts. And I am excited to have this conversation. Yeah, me too. So first question is, what in the world does a theology professor have to do? Like, what are you doing critiquing films? Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to be writing great treatises about, right. you know, eschatology and soteriology and things like that. Yeah. But you're slumming it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Watching movies and talking about movies is decidedly not systematic theology, right? So, But yeah. you have me. I'm a fan. So let's talk about it. Yeah. The, How did the you get intersection in of those things, right? So I was a yeah. youth and young adults pastor for many, many years. Uh, and during that time, I also just a, a fan of film, a cinephile. Uh, and I started to write movie reviews online and publish them just as a personal blog. And then that grew and evolved into something much, much more. People started reading the reviews. People I didn't even know were reading the reviews. I was getting published at places like Christianity Today and elsewhere. And the intersection of those two things of just faith and film started to coalesce. And then in my own academic pursuits of wanting to pursue a master's in theology and then ultimately a PhD, like those things just kept being at the forefront of my mind and my imagination. Like yeah. I wanted to explore the intersection of those two things because yeah. it seemed like God was active in both of those worlds. Theology, obviously the Christian church, the Bible, those types of things. But God also seemed to be, at least in my own life and the lives of many other people I had encountered had had these like spiritual experiences or transcendent experiences watching a movie uh, where they could only describe it in religious terms. Yeah. And so I was just curious about how does that work? How does that function where a film can actually seem to generate like a spiritual experience or this encounter with the divine, but in a decidedly not typical theological sort of way, right? right? Yeah, like how absolutely. God seems to be at work in those places too. Yeah. And if God's at work, so maybe we as theologians need to investigate that yeah. and pay attention to how God might be at work in those arenas. I imagine that that may have helped you engage the youth as a young adult pastor or a youth pastor, because I can think about like when substitute teachers would come to our class, they're just throwing a film. And yeah. It was like, oh yeah, let's watch Willy Wonka. Totally. And be engaged. So I can imagine that, you know, this is how I'm going to engage them to watch this film. It's Mean Girls or something. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And, and figure out how do we find the truth? Is that something that you found? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So how do we look for truth yeah. in the wider world around us? And how mm -hmm. do we see that in films? It's basically, I mean, the big word for it is hermeneutics. It's Absolutely. like practicing interpretation. Absolutely. And we're doing that with the biblical text, but we're also able to do that with watching a film, try to understand the characters and story um, plot lines, you know, motives and morals too, right? Like Absolutely. what is the moral framework that this movie is presenting us? What's the religious or theological framework it's presenting us? And then how do we understand that and even potentially apply it? Um, and it's just an kind of a relatively easier avenue to do that sometimes than let's read this systematic theology book, uh, right? Like yeah. let's read this ancient text or these doctrines over here. Um, when watching film can be an avenue to be able to talk about similar things or even the same truths, uh, but just doing it in a very kind of creative and accessible way. I don't even know if this is, this is somewhat of an apocryphal story, but it's, it's myth, it's myth. I, you know, it's grown so much, so it has to be true that C.S. Lewis once said, I didn't necessarily write 
the lion, witch, and wardrobe so that people can become Christian, but that when they come to an encounter of knowing Jesus, that there will be an easier connection maybe mm. with Aslan and them coming to this like mature uh, realization of who Christ is. And they'd be like, oh, like, and it helps kind of disarm some of their disbelief. Do you feel like you saw some of that in yeah. maybe your interaction with using film with people who may have struggled with deep theological truths, but being able to connect it to film, it's like, Oh, okay. And is there any, yeah. like, are there any practical oh, yeah. or examples that you can kind of, yeah. I mean, I can think of examples in terms of just like how film can function in just Christian character formation or spiritual mm-hmm. formation. Um, so NT Wright, he has a book called after you believe, and it's mm-hmm. about, character formation and virtues and things yes. like that. And he talks about what he calls the virtuous circle and he starts it with scripture and he talks about moral exemplars, uh, and fellowship or koinonia, like community, uh, and then, uh, practices like spiritual practices, but he also includes stories in there. Mm. So stories as distinct from practices, scripture, all these other things. And he's describing those as these fictional stories, right? Like watching Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. reading Chronicles of Narnia, or even encountering, God somehow through a quote unquote secular film, like I'm watching this movie and then something happens within me. Uh, I'm drawn to the characters or just the, the bigness, the loudness, the immersiveness of a movie, uh, strikes a sense of awe or wonder within me, or I notice something that's just beautiful or true or seeing examples of grace and forgiveness on screen. Uh, all those things seem to be avenues for this character formation, or we might call it spiritual formation or discipleship even. Um, So incorporating film into that and recognizing it for what it is, that it actually is this artistic medium that has the power and capacity to shape us for good and for ill, really too, for both of those things. But I'm very interested in how it can shape us for good. Like where are the good and beautiful things that we can find in cinema? So I I am... Film is something that has definitely shaped me. Mm. I grew up watching. I love the Goonies, for instance. Right? Okay, so yeah. my heart was to one day get a band of friends to ride around our community and find treasure. Like you can go to the Goonies house. It's here in Oregon. I know. It's like, a story, but yeah, I didn't know yeah. it was this close. Is it close? It's Because like I will a, leave right now. It's like an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can go will, check it out. There's Jason the Goonies will be chaperoning me an hour and a half away <laughs> because I have made. So when you walk through the. Portland airport, you can yeah. see like all the films that were shot. And I saw, when I saw that, I was like, you know what? One of these days, Hey, you guys. Yeah. But it can also shape us for, you know, it can shape negative images for us. And so, um, growing up, I just knew I was never supposed to go camping because I was going to die first if I was with my white <laughs> friends. So <laughs> how is film? There's a narrative there in the horror movies, exactly. right? Like the, these stereotypes like just stay away happening. from the woods. Yeah. <laughs> how does film, you know, you talked about shaping us, but how is it identity formation and how has it shaped you in your own personal life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, I can think of a couple different films that have shaped me personally. Um, I'll give you two examples. One, uh, a movie that I watched called Le Fils or The Sun by two Belgian filmmakers, the Darden brothers, Jean-Pierre and Luc Darden. And these are the filmmakers I actually ended up doing my PhD uh, study on. Uh, made this film that was just this remarkable film about forgiveness and grace, like choosing grace instead of vengeance. Mm. Um, when the person who was wounded rightfully could have chosen vengeance and you could see the justice that was there. 
and so watching that movie, I remember going to Hollywood Video when those existed, like a Can you explain store. what that is yeah, to people? Like, yeah, because so, <laughs> so there were these things called DVDs and they were these physical things and you stuck them into your, you know, your DVD player and yeah. you could watch them. And so I went to the store, I picked up this DVD, I walked it back to my apartment in Southeast Portland. And I watched uh, the feast just by myself in my apartment. And it was like this spiritual experience again. Like yeah. I had this encounter with God through it. Um, and that's kind of what uh, really drew me to the Darden brothers movies to be able to study them more. Uh, and then a second story, and I've shared this elsewhere, uh, but I'll share it again. I watched a movie um, about 10 years ago now, uh, came out in 2013 called Philomena. It was mm-hmm. a best picture uh, nominee back then it stars Judy Dench and it's about a woman whose, um, son is taken away from her and given away for adoption. She's an mm-hmm. Irish woman, uh, young single mom. Her son is taken away and given to an American family, like a wealthy American family. Yeah. And it's about her basically 50 years later, she wants to go and find her son. And so she's this, um, faithful Catholic woman partnered with this atheist professor from the BBC. And they go on this kind of journey of trying to find her son. It's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of comedy, a lot of drama. But as I'm watching that movie, um, so I'm adopted uh, and was born to a single mom, a Hispanic woman in Texas, and then given up for adoption, not against her will, but um, raised in, in by a white family up in in Washington. And that was just kind of my life and my identity and all I ever knew. And watching this movie, by the end of it, um, I just knew, like God spoke to me through the film. That's the only way I can describe it, that God spoke to me through the film that I needed to go find my mom. Mm. And almost immediately as the credits are rolling and I'm just in tears having this kind of an experience, um, I'm pulling out files and trying to get online and trying to discover who my mom was. Um, So to make a really long and complicated story short, I found her. Uh, I found her in Texas, Uh, was reunited with her, discovered family members that I didn't know existed and they discovered me because she had not really shared that she had had a child that she had given up for adoption. Um, so that there was this beautiful reunion and she's, so she's married to a pastor. She's a Christian woman. Hmm. And so there was this way that God was at work in my life through this movie and also in her life, you know, thousands of miles away off in Texas of reuniting us. And that this movie Philomena that I watched, yeah. uh, was kind of this, the linchpin or the hinge point, it was the key for starting that journey. Yeah. Um, and now my, yeah, my mom and I are reunited from that. That's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful story. That's man, that's powerful. There are, I, there are two people that I greatly appreciate, um, W.E. Du Bois mm. and James Baldwin, but they have different apparent, differing opinions on the utility of art. Du Bois is, yeah art for propaganda purposes to the goal is to use it to communicate something very clearly and to do something Baldwin, not so much. He's like, let art be art. And do you think, or what is your posture when you think about art? Should it be propaganda? Should it never be propaganda? Or are there times where you, you navigate that particular tension? Uh, Yeah. I think the question it's a good question. And it raises the question in me of what is propaganda? Like, mm-hmm. what is the purpose of that? So can art be propaganda? Absolutely. Right. right and right, right. cinema in particular has been used that way. 
um, you know, for nationalistic purposes, military right, purposes, absolutely. that kind of stuff to kind of indoctrinate or train mm-hmm. other people to mm-hmm. follow some sort of ideology and yeah. to stick with it. Um, so it absolutely can be, should it be, I think is a harder question. Um, my inclination is to lean on the Baldwin side of things, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And say, no, let art be art. Let it just kind of be what it is. Um, but I also think if it's not propaganda, at least art influences us towards things. It teaches us. Art can be a teacher. Um, and being a teacher might be different than being somebody who's promoting propaganda or trying to indoctrinate or manipulate, right? Mm. Um, so if I'm guiding you or teaching you through art, that seems different to me or a different posture than I'm manipulating you into believing things that I want you to believe, mm. um, whether it's for your good or not, because yeah. I have some sort of other agenda. So I don't, where would you be? I guess I will throw the question back. <laughs> I'm not the you. one being interviewed. Friend. I know, but you're I think the, it's, it's a I think good it, question. Um, yeah. I think one, I think it depends. And I think about who's saying it in, in light of the Du Bois in Baldwin, mm. who's saying it and why they're saying it and when they're saying it. Um, like the context of the what context they're coming of from. when they're living. Mm. So you think about the first film ever, um, you know, uh, uh, birth of a nation, yeah, the is. blockbuster film. Yeah, yeah. so kind of that's uh, that's propaganda for all intents and purposes. Very much you so. Know, Ku Klux Klan propaganda. Right. And you have a gentleman like Du Bois who's like, well, what we want to do is communicate or create propaganda that's adverse or that, that creates an aversion to that mm. and promotes dignity for black people. So I can see why he's overt with his you know, disposition with art. But I also think that, and this is just my own personal view, that for the most part, when art is overtly postured in propaganda, it's not Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. It's just subtlety to me is, is a much more, it's just better than when something is so on the nose, it's like, okay. Yeah. If it's preachy, didactic, pushy. Yeah. I mean, you know, Pilgrim's Progress and even, the Chronicles of Narnia, there have been people who've criti- criticized those types of work and literature because it's, it wasn't the most creative, <laughs> Yeah, but it, it serves its purpose. Like it's, it's communicated something and I guess planted a seed in the hearts of people. So I guess that's where I will be. I don't know, but let me yeah. ask you this difficult question since you're asking me. Okay. The age old question, is there such thing as good or bad art? Oh, that's a great can question. Can we yeah, can we say no look objectively this is what right. makes film good. Yeah. This is what makes film because even, you know, if we talk about story formation that changes. People, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain yeah, so it's not always exposition, rising conflict, resolution. Like people p- play with that narrative a little yeah. bit. So is there you know, a form that you can say, Hey, no, this is what makes film good or bad. Yeah. It's interesting when you ask the question about ethics versus aesthetics here. So if you ask Christians in particular, is there an objective good or bad? Well, of course there is, right? Like, yeah. yeah, And it's the Bible and God and like morals and all these things. And then you'll ask, well, is there an objective good or bad when it comes to art? Well, it's just kind of in the eye of the beholder. And it's like what I feel like, and like, maybe, maybe not. And it's more wishy-washy right on that lens. Uh And I think there's probably things that both sides can learn from one another on that of like that kind of black and white morality mm-hmm. and objective. Yeah, sure. But there's some subjectivity that we need to bring to the table too, when it comes to our ethics and contextualization and those t- and interpretation, that kind of thing. But when it comes to art, yeah, if there is a God, 
and I think there is, Absolutely. who is the source of beauty and the source of goodness and the source of truth, then if art is a reflection of that or response to that, then there is some sort of objective connection point yeah. that shows us um, that it's good or not, that we can actually hold it up to. Now, if if it's um, it, it, discerning what that goodness is or how that works or operates can be really complicated because art can also truthfully depict terrible things or horrific things Absolutely. or really difficult things, right? And it still be good art, even though it's drawing our attention or our imaginations to something that might be hard or yeah. painful Absolutely. or the suffering of the artist that they're expressing and that's their self-expression of that. Like those are things that we need to value, even though they aren't good in like a happy, hunky-dory, positive sort yeah, of way. Yeah. And this might get to uh, even coming back to that propaganda question, yeah. why a lot of Christian art in particular isn't so good mm -hmm. in the sense of just being aesthetically pleasing yeah. or like well done or well crafted or well created. Yeah. Cause it does lean towards the, the preachy side of things Absolutely. and like wrapping things up in some sort of sermon illustration. Right. Like here, here's your nice moral lesson yeah. that you can take with you rather than opening up spaces for ambiguity, for mystery, for questions, for a range of emotional responses. It's oftentimes trying to answer questions that people aren't asking necessarily. Like yeah. Just, and it, it sacrifices the aesthetic for the message. Yes. And that to me, sometimes it's like, let's trust that the audience is smart enough to get it without you beating me upside yeah. the head with this truth. Well, I'm going to throw a question at you, even though I know. Okay. So, uh, here, so you're more of an artist than I am. Okay. Hands down. Like this is just, <laughs> this is objective. Like you're I'm trying to be something else right now. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious, like even yeah. in the making of art yeah. in the creating of art, is there something there that's tapping into goodness or truth or beauty for you that, that is like, there is an objective. I can see when this is better as I'm creating it. Like there's something that's tapping into the goodness of either God or. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And I do think there is a, you know, I often think of artists as trying to emulate God, the creator in Genesis, mm. obviously. And so we're tapping into that Genesis one and two, like, you know, yeah, we are made in his image. And therefore as individuals who are given these, this bountiful resource, we're trying to figure out how to use the raw materials of the world to make something beautiful, to, to cultivate, to create. Mm -hmm. um, however, there is a Genesis three and sometimes we operate in that versus Genesis one and two. And mm -hmm. I think, a lot of us know the difference of when we're operating in the spirit and then we're operating in our flesh. However, oftentimes I think the church or Christian market thinks we're operating in the flesh just because we talk about the darkness or we, we enter into yeah. the darkness and we're not, we're just being honest about the world. Very similar yeah. to like a Flannery O'Connor who I love, mm. who is very Gothic and deals with darkness. I think she's very spirit filled writer, but she uses like some of her characters use explicit language, oh, yeah. but at the end of it, you're, you're drawn to a truth or you're telling the truth about humanity in a way that I hope drives you to a point of, for instance, I had, I got to see McKilty Williams, um, who played Bubba Gump in, you know, his yeah. most famous role was Bu uh, Bubba Gump in, uh, Forrest Gump, not Bubba Gump. Yeah. Bubba. Forrest Gump, but he's Bubba. Bubba. He's Bubba's, Bubba. Uh, in Forrest Gump. The Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. <laughs> yeah, right? Bubba, yeah. yeah, so I'll get it right eventually. And he was at, he, he, you know, he's a Christian and he was mentoring another brother in the faith 
in Hollywood and the, the, the young man came to him disturbed about a role. He was like, man, they're asking me to play this gangster, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I just, my convictions are not allowing. He said, you better play that role. And he said, you better play it with honesty. Yeah. Play it so truthfully. that people are not drawn to love you, but that you're painting the picture of the depravity of humanity so that when they see you, they think, man, the world needs redemption. Mm. We, as, as a people, we need redemption. So that actually leads me to my next question. Um, unless you have any more questions. No, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. So I have this, I, it may be unhealthy. I don't know. I have this fascination with The Wire, the TV show on HBO. This is not necessarily an endorsement for you to go watch it, but you probably should go watch yeah. it. Um, and I make the statement about how I feel like The Wire has taught me more about the interconnectedness of human civilization, the brokenness of human mm. civilization than many well-written articles in Christian you know, spaces or, except for yours, but other people's <laughs> well-written articles or even Christian films because of the honesty of, of how it approaches and addresses. Yeah. Um, why do you feel like we, and if you assume, if you're on the, the side of me, which is the right side, yeah. <laughs> what is happening or what are we doing wrong in Christian spaces? Is it that there's market complacency and the market incentivizes us to be that way? Mm. Or is it that we just truly, there's either a fear to, navigate the dark or to navigate these spaces and have the bravery to, to be good, to have a good heart's posture, to be rooted in biblical truth, but yet address the darkness of the world. Yeah. Um, or is it just, we're just not talented. <laughs> I don't think it's that we're not talented because mm -hmm. I've met too many Christians who are artists who are good at both. Like they're good Christians and good artists. They're That's making good. good art. Um, so I do wonder if there's a marketability aspect to that. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to make these films because we know that they'll sell. Yeah. Um, and there's a push for that too, right? Like buy tickets, right. go to these things, invite yeah. your friends. There's maybe even an evangelistic thing for certain uh, films too. Like, hey, invite a non-Christian friend and maybe they'll be converted by the film, which is again, an assumption that the film has some sort of power yeah. behind it, um, that it can actually compel you or move you in that way. Um, but I also think to go back to that propaganda stuff, uh, kind of the preachiness or the didactic elements to some films, particularly Christian films, they like to wrap it up into this nice, neat package at the end yeah. and not leaving room for the ambiguity and the mystery, mm -hmm. um, or the messiness, even of discipleship and following Christ. Like it's not, it's not Absolutely. easy. It's, yeah. Christ has called us to take up our cross and yeah. to follow him. Uh, sometimes the, when we, you know, do, we just don't say darn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like things get dark Yeah, and right, people absolutely. who have followed Jesus, it can get really hard. And yeah. so having that, you know, everything works out okay. And then end credits roll right. and then like go to the hashtag or the website that we put right, on the screen right, right, right. to invite your friends to follow Jesus or something feels false to us, yeah. even though it might be communicating a truth about the gospel, absolutely. about who Jesus is. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of missing the point because it turns, it, it confuses evangelism for marketing. And I don't think those are the same things. Like I think the good news of bearing witness to the gospel of That's Christ good. isn't just this sellable commodity yeah. that I'm trying to communicate through whether it's cinema or TV or things like that. Is the problem, uh, is the problem that it, cause we both, I think we will both say that it's okay that the, those types of films exist is the problem that there's a deficiency of other types of films or is it that no it's there needs to be a revolution that happens 
within Nashville or you know Christian. Yeah, that's a good question. I do think there are there are films right. made by Christians that are genuinely good art. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, um, yeah. and are making they're films three. that are. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can think of more just, than that. I'm just joking. I've been in a couple. Please hire me again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll give you an example. I guess. Uh, to, well, maybe two or three examples. The examples that come to mind are Terrence Malick, the filmmaker, oh, yeah. American Terrence, yeah. filmmaker. So mm-hmm. he's a Christian. He's making a film about Jesus right now. But would you consider that the? And I'm going to use this word not necessarily in a pejorative way, but would you consider that the Christian music? like film complex is that no because he operates all. yeah so that's what i'm saying totally like i'm thinking different. more of right. like your your christian film market and industry like, so a genre being like the faith-based film right Versus- yes or people who you know these these films are being pushed out um in particular spaces I mean, even that language is pushed out, right? Is that propaganda, that marketing, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing? It's like we want we have a market and an audience that we know that we can make money off yeah. of. Yeah. And so if we can make a film that kind of caters to that particular market and that Which is not necessarily bad because sure. I mean I think of someone like Tyler Perry. Sure. He, his studio is literally a jog away from my house. He makes a, ter- a certain type of, he has a certain type of market. Totally. And it's fine. Like, you know, Spike Lee doesn't like his films and yeah. he makes totally different types of films. Yeah. Is that okay in the Christian space as well for them? Is it because they're just overwhelmingly dominating and monopolizing the space or is it, no, it's just, it's just bad art and we just don't want to represent that representing the church or I, the Christian yeah, I hope that there are Christians that are able to do that, that are able to make good cinema that maybe even is under that genre or banner of faith-based films, mm-hmm. um, but starts to explore those things. I guess I'll give you kind of an example that I think gets it half right is the new movie that came out, Jesus Revolution. Right. I've, yeah. Have I haven't seen, seen it, but I've heard it's really okay. good. First, well, and it I, takes and it takes some chances. It, it does said, very yeah. much so. Like this kind of journey of faith that this young man right, right, goes right. on, um, and there's drugs and things like that that right, he's right, involved right. in, and it's telling an honest historical story of what's going on with the the, the, the Jesus movement back in the seventies, oh, okay. right? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and and these particular characters in kind of a biographical sense, and the first half of the film I think does that really well and explores those things in ways that are honest and aesthetically well done and beautiful. But by the end of the film, I guess, spoiler alert, um, by the end of the film, that main character has come to Christ, gets baptized, all those things. And then essentially like everything works out for him. Okay. He yeah. gets the cute girl at the end. Yeah. He, you see in the end credits, he becomes a mega church pastor that has thousands of people who are following him yeah. and he's like successful. And when it ends that way of like following Jesus makes you successful in this world and that's the underlying message that can get a little bit that was true for that guy and that particular story but there's so many other stories out there that we need to explore and wrestle with those tensions of the ups and downs and i imagine like the pastor at the end of the story that's not the end of his story right like he's had plenty of ups and downs in his own life but when the market is for these kind of like uh, sermonic messages that can just we've landed the plane and everyone's nice and happy. And so we can go home and feel good about ourselves rather than wrestle with some of the ambiguities and mysteries, um, both of the gospel and just the harshness of our world. Um, that makes for, I think better art, but it's harder to market that. Yeah. I, you know, in relation to like a Terrence Malick, um, there was a film that I loved and I thought was well done. 
that isn't necessarily a Christian market film, but it's definitely a Christian film. And I think, and I'm pretty sure the director is a Christian as well. Um, it was Minari about the Korean yes. family. That's a great example. Yeah. Lee Isaac Chung. There we go. Great movie. So to me, I think that is an example of, of, of trying to figure out how to engage the market with your faith, writing a story that is honest to who you are, the, the environment around you. And it doesn't end with that gospel bow mm -hmm. that you're, that you, you're that was a beautiful of. film. Yeah, it was. It's touching. It addresses questions of faith yep. and depicts faith, like depicts Christianity yeah. on yeah. screen, both Absolutely. good and, and like yeah. not so good, <laughs> not so much, yeah. um, but honest, right. in honest Absolutely. ways, right? Absolutely. And it's just a well-made film too. And it, that's a great example of how Christianity and cinema can come together in a way mm -hmm. that is fruitful and generative and beautiful yes. and true. And appeals to, again, that kind of particular market of American evangelicals, but also it's just, it's just such a good film. It should just appeal to human exactly. beings. Absolutely. Like whoever we are, like it speaks to us because Absolutely. it resonates with us. So you talk about the religious dimension and that films carry oftentimes. Yeah. And so I uh, had an opportunity to sit with a priest who um, does exorcisms. And he said the two major causes of exorcisms in this country one yoga which i was like oh wow but i guess it makes sense and two he said film he said horror films in particular mm. um now <clears throat> i imagine that you and i we're not out, we're not going out and like you know casting out demons in the name of like the chosen or passion of the christ yeah. you know what i'm saying <laughs> however there is a religious warfare that is happening as we see yeah. in the scriptures, like yeah. in the principalities, especially in film. So what are your thoughts like yeah. around the spiritual dimension that operates within films? Yeah. Not just the not just the religious messaging, but I'm talking about the spiritual warfare that perhaps takes place yeah. within the things we take in with our eyes. Yeah. Like cinema is just a particularly powerful spiritual medium for good and for ill. Mm. And I think the church has recognized that from the beginning, um, when cinema was first invented, right, like late 1800s, early 1900s, churches were recognizing even back then the powers of what it could do. Um, and so the reason we have rating systems nowadays, the ones that we have are rooted ultimately in uh, the Catholic Church, certain Protestants, you know, seeing the dangers of what there were for films. But then there's also um, there's examples even from, uh, there's a, a good example of there's a pastor in like 1917, his name is Herbert Jump. Uh, and he went around New England and looks at all these different churches and, uh, and would like to start a petition to get movie projectors to be installed in churches, to turn churches into cinema houses. This is 1917. So it's like oh, silent he's... films. And he's like seeing, Hey, we could actually use cinema to be like a powerful medium for communicating the gospel, that for shaping people in their spiritual formation, right? He was and, like the first hipster church planner. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and now we all have screens in yeah, our exactly. churches, right? We all are looking at like screens and watching stuff and seeing stuff on YouTube. Yeah, he and was, he was doing that, you know, a hundred yeah. over a hundred years ago. <laughs> Nobody gave him the funds. It didn't work out. Like he distributed this pamphlet of like, we should do this. And everyone said no. Yeah. Um, but to answer now. your question, like it's both and like it's, yeah. it's a powerful medium a powerful spiritual artistic medium that can affect us for good or for ill. And because it's so powerful, like it opens up, yeah, spaces and places for 
um, when it comes to that spiritual warfare stuff of like being dragged away or distracted by um, particular forces that lead us away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, potentially God speaking through a film, right. right? Like, so this Philomena experience that I had with that movie, I think was God reaching through a film and just grabbing a hold of my spirit and drawing me in this direction that I would never have necessarily gone had I not watched that movie. Uh, so true the, or false? Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So true or false? I'm gonna make a statement. You, you uh, films are agnostic. Ooh, films are agnostic. Or C, you can. I don't I'm know. gonna say false. Okay. And here's why: um, agnosticism has to do with just I. It literally means like I don't know, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. there's no clear understanding. And right. I do think films do take a stand, or certain films do, and right. certain filmmakers do. Mm-hmm. So, well, no, I do know. Uh, I do know truth, or I do know beauty, or I do know goodness, and we'll point to those things. Um, I would, I guess, I'd say films are more ambiguous than agnostic in the sense yeah. of what are the messages they're trying to send. Um, and even the kinds of things that people pick up on or receive, Absolutely. whether there was an intent behind them or not. So, you know, as a film critic, I study film. And the one thing that I learned in my film criticism classes is that there is nothing that is accidental in a film. Mm. Like the framing, the colors, the props. The, I mean, in a good film. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, most good films, especially the like the films you've mentioned. Yeah. These There's are like people who well are- Well-crafted, very intentional. Yes, every yes. frame is important. Mm-hmm. And to know that there are people who are very intentional about what they're trying to communicate, even when they have two people in frame versus one person, or they're trying to communicate something to get you to feel something. Absolutely. So I love the idea that you would agree with me and say that they're not agnostic. Yeah. I was just basically going to say, are you going to be right or wrong? (laughs) Do I agree with you or not? Yeah. Yeah. So I I think there's, yeah, there's too much intentionality behind film, even documentary films, which are kind of like ostensibly, Oh, it's just a camera picking up whatever's happening. Yeah. But there are choices that are being made of where that camera is pointing, how that footage is going to be edited together in the end. Yeah. Um, And so there is some sort of like intentionality or statement being made. Um, and even if it's ambiguous to the filmmakers themselves of like, we're still not sure, but they're still, they're working together. There's an intentionality behind yeah. that, behind artists. They don't just um, accidentally make their art usually. So before we get into our speed round, uh, I have to ask you, a little celluloid angel was floating around the George Fox campus okay. and told me that you have a work in the future around Christopher Nolan. I do. Yes. Can you talk to us about this or book that is coming out about Christopher Nolan? Yeah. So I am working on a book, uh, on a theology of Christopher Nolan's films. Uh, and so I'm looking at it kind of from a philosophical theological lens. Mm -hmm. And so bringing Christopher Nolan's movies. So the dark Knight trilogy, uh, inception, memento Oppenheimer's latest one, right? Like all these movies. Do you Um, appreciate the Batman films? Is that like, okay, very much. Cause I didn't know if that was like, eh, that's his, no, those are like, no, I think, I mean, dark Knight is still possibly the best superhero movie. Not possibly. So they are definitely, I like Spider-Man into the spider verse though. And I would put that up there. Oh, they're very different. Yeah. Okay. Those are so different, but like, I I love them both. Touche my friend. Touche. They're both five star movies, but just in very different ways. The live action easily. Yeah. The best it's, and it's set. Yeah. Kind of this standard for this is what superhero movies are going to be from now on. Um, so Christopher Nolan, I'm bringing his films into conversation with two philosophers. Um, 
that have similar interests. So St. Augustine of mm-hmm. Hippo, Christian you know, theologian, philosopher, saint, and then Paul Ricoeur, who's a French philosopher, phenomenologist, and all three of those guys, so Nolan, Augustine, Ricoeur, they're all interested in the question of what it means to be human. Mm. What does it mean to be a human being? Are we inherently good? Are we inherently evil? Uh, how do we understand ourselves and our identity? And then what is truth behind that? Like, how do we know what's true or not? Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, like, how are things structured around story and narrative? How do narratives shape us in our imagination yeah. and in our uh, self-understanding and awareness? And so I think Nolan is interested in all these theological questions, but he's asking them in kind of a non-theological or secular sort of way, right? So mm-hmm. he's making these films that aren't overtly about religion at all and very rarely actually mention religion or God. Yeah. Uh, but the types of questions that he seems interested in, the themes that are there are deeply theological. Yeah. And so I want to explore what's kind of the theology behind what Nolan is doing. He was raised a Christian. He was raised, uh, went to Catholic school. Hmm. And so he has this kind of Christian upbringing that shaped his imagination. Yeah. And he seems to be still dwelling on those questions, but just trying to do it in a non-religious sort of way. Excellent. All right. So I have uh, a somewhat rapid fire. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, Let's see what I got. Let's not take three minutes answering them, but you know, okay. you can give some, you know, some explanation. I'll try it. and go like right. knee jerk reactions. So you're writing your book on Christopher Nolan. So you're yep. locked away in a cabin somewhere on the volcano. In, on a volcano? Yeah. I don't know. Mount St. Helens. I like guess I was driving through and it was like, that's a, that's a volcano. Yeah, and I was is. like, oh, there's some nice houses on that volcano. Yeah. Right <laughs> um, so you're, you're locked away because okay. you watching Nolan films, writing this book. Um, but you can only have one meal every day until you finish this book what is that meal that you're eating what's this dish what what do you am i gonna get like sick off this meal or do i have like it's, some it's, sort of it like... depends on your choice all right you know some people have some terrible choices okay like other... so uh, this is my honest first reaction with like coffee ice cream if i'm just, just eating you're gonna just eat coffee eat okay it's not the worst answer i've had but okay. it's probably second the coffee worst. is gonna keep me going uh the ice cream is also gonna keep me going i don't going, think you're gonna be able to finish way. this book on that diet my no friend. i well i yeah i will probably die of a heart attack yeah so let's just put it out now <laughs> okay yeah i'll do my best the coffee ice cream will keep me going all right so as you are slowly dying there's yeah. there's, there's a soundtrack what album oh. what album is the soundtrack of your slow death my slow death oh my god i mean i'm just saying like because that's what's going to happen on this coffee and ice cream yeah but that's true if here's my knee-jerk reaction to yeah, this uh uh-huh. sufjan stevens carrie and lowell huh which is an album actually about death and dying and it's pretty sad and depressing <laughs> but that's the first thing that came up. i yeah. love sufjan stevens yeah. as yeah, an artist yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. as a musician and that album good choice is the one that came to mind so Good choice. That's my answer. <laughs> Good choice. I mean, I've asked everyone this, but I'm going to ask you, uh, no no Christopher Nolan film. Okay. Okay. You, you have to watch one film. What film are you watching? Terrence Malick, The Tree of Life. Okay. That's the All right. hands down my favorite film. I wrote a PhD on the Darden brothers. I'm writing a Christopher Nolan book, but like Terrence Malick, The Tree of Life is my favorite movie. Tips. So for people who don't want to just watch, you know, and there's nothing wrong with letting the film just wash over you, but- mm. People who want to watch films with a critical eye, what are some tips that you would probably give them to say, hey, watch the fi- watch a film like this? Yeah. Especially as you watch like, you know, Tree of Life over and over again. What are you discovering? Like, so yeah. how do you help someone? I think the the posture I would say is to practice hospitality with a film. Mm. To be open and receptive to what the film has to offer. 
um, like we would with any person, like a stranger who comes to our door and is, do we invite them in or not? Right. Like, mm-hmm. am I going to invite this film in based on what the film wants to present, not yeah. based on my own ex- mm-hmm. like expectations or assumptions? How can I receive from this film, really any artwork, how can I receive from the artwork what it has to offer? And then I can make potentially critical judgments about like, is this a good thing? Is it not a good thing? Where is God in this? Or where, how is this leading me away from God? Those types of things. But having that posture of hospitality first, I think is important. Uh, It's potentially risky or dangerous, you know, invite a stranger into your home, right? Uh, Invite a stranger into your life. But it also could be the potential you're inviting, you know, we've hosted angels, right? This is Mm. what scripture says to us or in, inviting God himself, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Abraham in Genesis at the Oaks of Mamre is inviting these strangers in. Uh, mm-hmm. And it turns out he's having a conversation with God. So all that to say, I think having that open posture towards film and receptive to what it is. Uh, and then maybe a second thing would be just to do homework on the kinds of films to watch. Like there's such a broad, wide variety, diversity of genres. Like every nation has its own cinema, like their own movies that they're putting out. Mm-hmm. So allow cinema to be this empathy generating artistic form that it is, and just be open to the different genres, different artists, different time periods, different forms, uh, and receive those as well. So just kind of explore widely what yeah. film can offer. Uh, and not just in like one specific genre or only modern films or only films that are in your own language or from your own country. Um, but explore widely and see what there is out there. Okay. So you're just, you're bouncing off the wall because of this coffee. Yeah. Sufjan Stevens is just bouncing off the walls just with you. Yeah. Um, You need to take a break from writing your book because now you want to read a book. And this is the one book that you're just going to have to read over and over and over again. What book is that? I'll give you two. Can I do two? No. Okay. Then I'll go with the novel. Okay. Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Okay. Yeah. So that's a film or a film. It's a film too, but it's a novel that I I do actually read and have read almost yearly ever since I first read it. Dark, dark, dark book. Um, And, you know, it's about a father and a son in this post-apocalyptic world. Um, But it somehow speaks to me. Uh, Again, that's another form of art that is filled with mystery and ambiguity and darkness fiction. Um, so give us the second book. Cause I was, you know, you can obviously second book is, second book. um, the one that came to mind uh-huh. is Diedrich Bonhoeffer, okay. uh, and his book ethics, oh, okay. which is not necessarily like, it's a heavy book, a weighty right, book, right, right, right. uh, kind of thought provoking, but it's one of those books that I read in seminary and changed my life. And I keep going back to it. Uh, and, yeah. and his call to how do we follow Jesus and live out the ways of Jesus? Um, Bonhoeffer has just been an influential figure in my life. Love him. All right. So last one is, you know, you got to take care of yourself. We have self-care practices and habits. Like coffee, ice cream. (laughs) Potentially. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So how are you going to take care of yourself when you have this, after this coffee, ice cream, what is the self-care practice that you're going to do throughout this year? This is the one thing that you, I just can't let go of this thing. I have to do it. That's a great question. Um, for me, the practice of Sabbath mm-hmm. has proven to be, I mean, it's so simple. It's so basic. It's in scripture, right? We're supposed to do this, but just to take 24 hours to disconnect from email, from social media, from those types of things 
and to do life-giving activities, things that um, bring life and joy and flourishing. Um, So spending time with my family. I'm married. I have three kids. Um, Spending time with them, spending time in nature, maybe watching a movie on Mm -hmm. the Sabbath, uh, a life-giving movie, those types of things. But just disconnecting from the things that distract and doing the things or that refill me or not doing the things that refill me in the sense of inactivity and rest. Um, so practicing Sabbath is, is I think That's a life giving restorative yeah. practice. Do we Sabbath from coffee, ice cream or no? Well, that, that might be a practice on the Sabbath. That's on the Sabbath. That's on well, the Sabbath. I'm listening to Sufjan Stevens Amen. just for 24 hours straight. Just Let's on do the it. Sabbath. Let's do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is how we celebrate our Sabbath by <laughs> inviting films to be hospitable with the film to <laughs> dig into the coffee ice cream yeah, and uh, and just overdose on Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, round of applause, Joel Wayward. Yeah, thanks so much. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.